0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Phillies Talk Podcast presented by Team Toyota. Corey Seidman along with Jim Salisbury. Jim, I hope you had a good Thanksgiving. Uh, I don't know
1: if, like me, you gained about six and a half pounds over the weekend, but uh, I'm hoping that it was a pleasant time with the fam. Was it? It was nice. uh, Gained about four pounds. And now I'm (laughs) going to run four miles today and uh, get started on working that off. So work my way up to six miles by the end of the week. And uh, by the end of next week, I'll be up to 10 miles a day. Well, the big question is, by spring training, are you going to be in the best shape of your life? I'm always in the worst shape of my life when I go to spring training. <laughs> so, uh, I don't even know if we're going to spring training next year, this crazy world we live in. Who knows? Uh, who knows? We, uh, there's been news on, uh, on the national news last night. There was some, some positive vibe about a potential vaccine. Man, do we need that. Let's go.
0: Yeah, really. Yeah, I mean, we, there's a lot we don't know about 2021. We don't really know the rules that MLB is going to be operating under uh, compared to 2020. We don't know, um, you know, if there's going to be spring training. But the next date on the Major League Baseball calendar is this non-tender deadline uh, that the Phillies have a few interesting players that they're going to be weighing their uh, futures, including Vince Velasquez or Anthony Dominguez, Hector Nares. You wrote about this at NBCSportsPhiladelphia.com this week, Jim. The deadline is Wednesday night. Uh, which direction do you think the Phillies are going to go with some of these pitchers?
1: Well, um, it's, it's, it's really tough to say. I think Nearest, just given the state of their bullpen, and, you know, I know at times he can be frustrating, but overall his track record has been pretty good. I think they they uh, figure out something with him um, to bring him back. Vinny Velasquez up in the air. We've talked about this a few times. Uh, he seems primed for a change of scenery, but this is a team that really lacks pitching depth. Um, I don't know. After five years, do you give him another shot? I I just don't know. So it wouldn't surprise me if that went either way. Uh, Sir Anthony Dominguez, only because he's injured, he's going to miss next year. He's getting more expensive, and the service time is racking up. I guess they would consider possibly non-tendering him. It's an awfully good arm to let walk away. But um, now it's an arm with a a surgically repaired elbow. You're not going to get anything out of him in 2021. Uh, we'll see how that goes. He has been rehabbing with the Phillies, but you know, I think that's still because he's Phillies property. Um, we'll see. Three pretty interesting cases. Uh, I'm really eager to see that list come out tomorrow night. Exactly, see how exactly how many free agents, uh, new free agents, hit the market. We think there could be quite a few of them as teams tighten their belt uh, after losing revenues in 2020. Um, a lot of talk to some um, significant names. Could be on the market, and I think the Phillies are going to go out there, and we know their budgets are tight, uh, that they're going to be out there looking for bargains. Uh, Once upon a time, this is how they got Jason Worth after he was non-tendered. So they'll be looking um, to augment their starting pitching, to make some scores in the bullpen uh, and other areas. And one area that I'm kind of curious to see what happens out in Cincinnati with – one of their catchers, Kurt Casale, if, if he's non-tendered and he's a kind of a, been talked about as a potential candidate to maybe be non-tendered. I wonder if, I wonder if he becomes uh, somebody the Phillies would target um, simply because he's very good with pitchers. Um, um, obviously the Phillies could have a needed catcher and um, uh, he's got a history with the Phillies new pitching coach, Caleb Cotham, who was hired uh, less than two weeks ago. So, you know, pitcher, catcher, pitching coach, they're all part of that same sort of uh, meeting room, as you might say in football, right? Uh, they all kind of work together and feed off each other. So I'm wondering if that history with Katha might make Kasali a target of the Phillies if he is non tendered by the Reds. So we'll see you tomorrow night.
0: Yeah, I mean, Kasali Ka- uh, uh, is certainly no JT Real Muto, but his last three seasons in Cincinnati, pretty good offensively, hit 260, 785 OPS. Uh, 18 homers, 22 doubles, and about a full season's worth of at bats. Uh, so, an interesting name to keep in mind as the Phillies look to potentially bring in a catcher if they can't bring back their incumbent in JT Real Muto. Jim, in talking about that non-tender deadline, you know, one of the guys that you brought up and one of the guys we talked about last week too was Sir Anthony Dominguez. And I know that the line of thinking is that, you know, you'd be paying the guy pretty much to not pitch in 2021. He'd probably be closing, uh, earning close to a million dollars. You know, the flip side, though, is the guy just has so much potential. And I look at that and I see a thin Phillies bullpen that really hasn't been able to develop top flight relievers in recent years. And it's almost like you have to keep the guy in the fold, even if you have to pay him not to pitch this year.
1: Yeah, I, that's certainly a valid point. Um, not going to pitch in 2021. We don't know what 2022 is going to look like with uh, the potential of labor problems. We don't know what his health is going to look like, but. Um, I think when push comes to shove, there's a lot of reasons to stick with him and bring him back. Um, But, you know, it it is uh, something I'm sure they're debating um, over there. But in the end, it wouldn't surprise me if he's back. And
0: then the other, you know, one of the other big names, too, is Vince Velasquez, who, you know, look, if the guy's going to earn close to $4 million, it probably is time to uh, say goodbye just based on the you know, lack of development. I I know that we've talked recently about the Phillies um, dearth of starting pitching depth, but as you mentioned that, you know, there are other guys who could become available, you know, there are going to be other pitchers in that $4 million or so tier that are probably more reliable and more accomplished than Vince Velasquez, especially if you have to, uh, you know, incorporate that guy as a starting pitcher.
1: Yeah. No no question. Um, You know, I'm, I think – I'm sure they've kicked around the idea of trying to retain Vinny and probably have had talks with about retaining him on a, on a lower base salary. Um, and, you know, there are still more than 24 hours to go before the tender deadline. Maybe something can be worked out in that regard. But if he becomes a free agent, he's going to have – he's going to have suitors. So there's going to be teams that are going to take, um, take a chance on that arm, just like there's going to be teams that take a chance on um, – You know, Jose Urena, who we've seen a lot down in Miami, and uh, he's been a DFA – he's already been DFA'd. He was going to be non-tendered. So, um, you know, those guys all fall fall under the heading of a change of scenery guy, get a new voice in his head, maybe something clicks. In Velasquez's case, he's had a new voice every year. He's been with the Phillies. They've had five different pitching coaches, right? So, um, curious to see what happens. Vinny's got a terrific arm. Um, and just ha- has not put it together. For me, um, even acknowledging their shortcomings in pitching depth, um, I think it's probably time for all parties to, to seek a change of scenery. But, again, I, I don't know what's going to happen. They do have a, an acute and significant um, lack of pitching depth after, you know, you got Wheeler and Nola and Eflin reasons to feel good about the starting rotation i would probably venture to say that's the strength of their team but after that you know spencer howard and, and a cast of um a cast of unproven's and, and howards an unproven did not have a strong rookie um, season though it was short has had elbow i'm sorry uh, shoulder stiffness um ended up being sidelined the last two years so i think that's an area you have to at least um, be cognizant of him. So there's not a ton of depth um, coming. Ranger Suarez, maybe he, he's always wanted to start again. Maybe he is um, gets a look in spring training. Obviously, Spencer Howard, Cole Irvin. They placed um, Damon Jones on the 40 last week. They placed Bailey Falter on the 40 last week. Um, uh, Adonis Medina is still on the 40. And then, you know, most of your other guys on the 40, are a bit farther away. I did notice um, uh, this morning Ramon Rosso, who I think probably profiles as more of a reliever down the road. He caught some eyes in spring training, big power arm guy, did not pitch well in 2020 in the big leagues, but off to a really dominating start down in winter ball. And I don't know how much you can read into that. Um, A lot of times the top players don't show up until later in the season. Uh, hitters are still just getting going. But the fact of the matter is he's pitched really well, nine scoreless, uh, only two walks, eight strikeouts, one hit. So it's a step in the right direction. Uh, He'll be in clear water. They'll put some eyeballs on him and see what happens. But they do need to mind that free agent, the existing free agent list. And um, they need to mind the non-tender list uh, for potential starting pitching depth. Uh, We talked a lot about Mike Miner. It appears he's going to Kansas City. um, And – Real slow moving free agent market other than the Atlanta Braves who've jumped on uh, a couple pitchers, former Phillies um, in um, Drew Smiley and, and Charlie Morton. But uh, I think things are going to be picking up here, you know, maybe by the weekend, at least on that second tier of free agents. Um, just because this is what everybody's been waiting for, to see exactly what the complete free agent pool looks like after the non-tenders. So they'll be out there. I think teams can start getting to work a little bit more on those second-tier guys with the top-tier guys, you know, the Bowers, the Springers, the JT Real Mudos. I just think it's going to take uh, longer on those guys. It's
0: been all, all one-year deals so far for free agents, including that Mike Miner deal that you alluded to, which is reportedly uh, one-year, $6 million. Uh, Jim, you mentioned that Vince Velasquez is probably going to have some suitors if he's non-tendered. I'm looking through this list of non tender candidates around the list. And to be honest, yeah, Velasquez is toward the top in terms of, like, enticing starting pitchers who could be non-tendered. I mean, aside from Velasquez, you're looking at uh, – you mentioned Jose Urania of the Marlins, maybe Steven Matz of the Mets. But then you're looking at guys like, I don't know, Brad Keller of the Royals, Steven Brault on the Pirates, like number five starters – so Velasquez, because of the velocity, because of, uh, you know, the tantalizing talent, uh, he will probably be able to score a little payday here. It's not going to, you know, it's not, he's not going to break the bank. It. He should be able to find an opportunity just uh, when you look no. at the, the landscape of the other non-tender candidates.
1: He, he, he'll find an opportunity. Everybody thinks they can uh, fix a <laughs> – straighten out a great arm, and he certainly does have a great arm. And that opportunity might be right back here. We just don't know. Um, if this was an organization – that had more pitching depth, starting pitching depth, I think uh, it would be, you know, uh, thank you very much. Uh, we'll catch you down the road. But that lack of pitching depth is, is something to be considered in the, in the case of Vince Velasquez. If you've been looking for a new or certified Toyota, come be part of a team. With
0: inventory arriving daily, we'll help you find a vehicle that works for your lifestyle and budget we continue to ensure that your next buying experience is as safe and efficient as possible. Our service center is open with easy online scheduling and a quick, clean process to get you back on the road safely. So head to teamtoyota.net and be safe, be strong, be a team. Hey, Jim, what do you think about this uh, Bobby Abreu campaign that the Phillies launched this week? They sent out a press release just kind of pointing out all of Abreu's strengths and the uh, the numbers he have that compare favorably to some other Hall of Famers here as Abreu goes into his second year on the ballot. I'll say up front, you know, I grew up watching Bobby Abreu. I was like a teenager when he was in his prime. Uh, I loved watching him, but when I was watching him, I certainly did not think of him as a Hall of Famer. And in my opinion, that's what the Hall of Fame is. It's guys who, when you're watching them, you undoubtedly think to yourself that, you know, this guy is one of the greatest players in the history of the game. The story of baseball can't be told without him. And as, you know, as dominating as some of Abreu's numbers are, I just don't know that he ever really fit that criteria.
1: I I like the way you phrased that. Can the game of story of baseball be told without a guy? And that defines a Hall of Famer. Uh, And I kind of agree with you. Uh, I I think it's gotten a little bit away from that. I think there's been some, um, you know, there's those slam dunk, you know, Babe Ruth, Joe DiMaggio's, uh, Willie Mays's, Hank Aaron's. And then there's guys that you feel like are second tier, but they're in. So. Uh, I feel like some of the criteria has maybe been watered down. Don't get me wrong. We're all still uh, great, great players in the rare era of baseball in the history of the game. Um, but yeah, I would agree with you. I mean, you know, I, Bobby Abreu, he doesn't immediately click in my head as, you know, guaranteed hall of famer. Uh, that said, with the advent of advanced metrics um, and, you know, Sabre metrics and, and advanced analytics, um, you know, The guys that run baseball teams these days go gaga over players Bobby Abreu's skill set, the on-base and the play discipline, things like that. Um, So with um, those metrics getting more um, um, sort of uh, being valued more by by the voting body, Uh, A guy like Bobby Abreu probably stands to have a better chance. That said, he only got 22 votes in his first year on the ballot last year, and that was barely enough to stay on the ballot. It was 5.5%. You need 5% to stay on, so he stays on for a second year. I'm sure he'll get more votes this year, maybe with some help from the Phillies in in that uh, document they did send out, which was really well-researched and very well done. I mean, a lot of those numbers jump off the page. He did have a great, great career. Uh, it's not unusual for teams to get behind one of their own, uh, one of their own players, almost like uh, you'll see colleges, um, you know, send out the credentials of a Heisman Trophy candidate or um, um, whatever the equivalent is in basketball or the Hobie Baker in, in hockey and SID will send out um, his, the, that player's um, notable achievements to, you know, help um, the voters, um, make up their mind it's stumping for your guy but it's part of the job it's part of what you what you do and I don't remember the Phillies really ever doing this before for one of their own but Bobby is one of their own he played nine seasons here um, he is on the wall of fame very well liked um, and I thought the uh, Phillies did a good job with with that um, with that communique with that dossier if you will enlisting all Bobby's uh, accomplishments I know the Houston Astros have done one in the past for for Billy Wagner, another former Philly who, back on the ballot I think for his sixth year, got thirty one percent of the votes last year. Um, you know, Kurt Schilling got seventy percent of the vote last year. He's on there for the ninth time. I, I you know he's within five percent of the vote. Was he, if he came twenty votes short last year? I think he's got a really good shot at getting into the Hall of Fame uh, when the results are announced on January 26th. Scott Rowland made a nice jump last year. He's back on the ballot. So a lot of folks with Philly's ties, uh, Philly's ties are on this ballot, including Bobby for the second time. And uh, like I said, the team has gotten behind him. And uh, it was certainly an interesting read. And you can read more about it on um, NBCSportsPhiladelphia.com. A lot of interesting numbers they have to chew on, uh, a lot of – interesting uh, comparisons to the 26 other right fielders that are in the hall of fame. Again, uh, he only got 22 votes last year, five and a half percent. He needs a long way to go before he gets 75%. Um, but you know what, that's what we do in the off season. We, we kick things around. We, we, um, we monitor the hot stove and in December and January, we talk about the hall of fame. So it's certainly An interesting topic for baseball fans to talk about: the case of Bobby Abreu. Well, you know,
0: five percent is very low for a first year, and um, it it foretells that he may not get in. However, you know, Larry Walker, who there was a big campaign for him this past year, in his fourth year on the ballot, he got ten percent of the vote, and then he made it in. You know, he he eventually made it in. Tim Raines, his first year on the on the ballot, about twenty four percent of the vote, eventually got to eighty six percent. A decade later. And the reason that those two guys um, feel applicable is because if Abreu gets in, it's going to be because of an internet campaign. It's going to be because the numbers are weighed uh, more heavily now than they were in his playing days. I mean, I think if Bobby Abreu played in this era, he'd stick out more. I mean, he would be Joey Vado, for example. People would look at him like that. Uh, but the fact that he played at the height of the steroid era when numbers were going crazy all around the league. You know, whether or not he was part of that, uh, he gets lumped in with all these guys who had 400 on base percentages as if it was like a 360 OBP.
1: Yeah, no question. Um, and with the passage of time, what the, all the things he did well seem to be becoming more appreciated uh, in this era of the game. Uh, whether or not Bobby gets in, I covered him his entire time in Philadelphia. I remember the day they traded for him. We were in uh, Phoenix, at the expansion draft, I guess it was, Um, the expansion draft, I guess it was like November of 97. And, um, yeah, 97. And uh, the Phillies, he had been in the Astros system. Ed Wade who was the Phillies' assistant GM. This was back before the Phillies had – and all teams had a huge pro scouting department ed was the assistant gm and he actually went out and did a lot of pro scouting in spring training and uh, he covered central florida covered a lot of tigers he covered a lot of astros they trained in central florida and ed wade was very very high on bobby Abreu. pushed for lee thomas and the front office to make that trade they made it for kevin starker funneled them through tampa bay and it was a great trade for the phillies they got a great player out of it bobby was never really fully embraced by the um fan base. Uh, there was an incident where he didn't run into a wall and uh, I never stopped hearing the end of that. Um, but I'll tell you, he was an awfully good player and, um, and uh, fun to watch. He could really throw, he could run when he was young, hit for power, a lot of, a lot of doubles, a lot of extra base uh, hits. And I uh, was a good Philly um, and ultimately a great Philly on the wall of fame, you know, missed out on uh, the great run of, of championships he, saw, he was traded to the Yankees and sort of handed the baton off to the next core of, of Jimmy Rollins, Chase Utley, and Ryan Howard. But, hey, at the end of the day, Bobby Abreu had a career you can hang your hat on, whether he gets into Cooperstown or not. Um, he was a, a pretty darn good player. Who
0: feels more like a Hall of Famer, Hall of Famer to you, Bobby Abreu or Todd Helton?
1: Helton's got big numbers. Um, I know there's that whole course field thing, but, hey, you know, you can't control where you play unless you're a free agent. He was drafted by that team. So, uh, I don't know. Um, who feels more like a Hall of Famer? I, I don't know that I can give you an answer because I don't know that either guy for me really passes that, you know, immediate sniff test that, yeah, he's a Hall of Famer. Because with a Hall of Famer, like you mentioned earlier, can you tell the story of baseball without him? To me, a Hall of Famer is you, you immediately know, right? He's a Hall of Famer. Mariano Rivera. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Derek Jeter. Derek Jeter. Um, Willie Mays, you know, um, George Brett, Mike Schmidt, you know, you just know it. And I'd have to dig into both of their numbers. And that – just that admission, um, I think, is telling about their candidacy. But both guys, I've, you know, I know Helton's got great numbers. He's got a lot of people behind him that think he deserves to be there. He was a hell of a hitter for a long time.
0: And it bodes well, I would think, for Helton that Larry Walker made it in, kind of breaking that Coors Field – um, you know, barrier of entry. Obviously, Helton's numbers were much better in Colorado than they were elsewhere, but I'm just looking at, you know, the Phillies mentioned Abreu's 10-year peak. Helton's 10-year peak, he had 332 OPS over 1,000, averaged more than 30, more than 100. The question is just whether his actual peak was long enough. He really had like five or six great years, whereas Abreu, I mean, that's something that certainly played in his favor was the longevity. I mean, this is a guy who remained productive beyond his days with the Phillies. He was a productive Yankee, drove in a hundred runs for the Yankees one year. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what happens with these Hall of Fame elections uh, in the upcoming year. But Kurt Schilling, who you referenced before, he got 70% of the vote last year. He was the closest guy who didn't make it. And this is not a really strong Hall of Fame class. So of everybody on the ballot, it seems like he has the best case of getting in. Would you agree with that?
1: Yes, of the guys on the ballot, uh, it seems like he has the best case. I've always thought he had Hall of Fame credentials. Uh, I remember when he retired writing a piece that I thought he was a Hall of Famer, and and I I still feel that way. Um, And Philadelphia was a big part of the, I would call, the foundation of his career. Uh, Went on to win a World Series in um, Arizona, and two of them in Boston, including that iconic – 2004 victory when they snapped the curse, and he was such a big part of it, uh, pitching on that bad ankle. Um, he had iconic moments. Uh, he had 300 strikeout seasons. He had amazing control, and, um, amazing uh, strikeouts to walks. Uh, you know, you, you, if you ask me, one I need one pitcher to pitch a game to save my life, he's the guy I give the ball to. I saw it up close. I covered him. He was, man, he could get up for a big game and he could deliver. Uh, so I, I do think Curt Schilling's a Hall of Famer. I'm sure, there's a lot of debate, and um, I'm really curious to see what happens in, in that uh, vote next month. But I, I have a feeling he's going to get in. I mean, if he, if he's ever going to get in, it's going to be this year, right? It's his ninth year. It's a, it's a weak first first year um, ballot, and uh, it's, the time just seems right for for, for Curt Schilling. Uh, in his Hall of Fame candidacy. So I wish him luck. We'll know at the end of January
0: that announcement about uh, 2021 Hall of Fame inductees comes on January 26th. So here we sit here at the beginning of December, about two months to go, uh, but two former Phillies, you know, clearly um, worth monitoring there in Kirk Schilling and Bobby Abreu. Tis the season to thrill at the Nissan year-end sales event. Get in, then get out and experience the most riveting ride of the year in a brand new Nissan. These savings on Nissan's lineup are sure to raise your pulse. Uh, Jim, last thing I want to hit you on is just the, you know, the obligatory JT Real Muto conversation that we have every single podcast. (laughs) Uh, You know, as the days and weeks continue to go by, it just seems more and more obvious that the Phillies are not going to be spending a ton this winter. I know that we've been talking about that for months now. Uh, And I, I don't know, it just, you know, it seems like, even independent of another team like the Mets' interest in J.T. Real Muto. It just – it doesn't feel promising, the ability to re-sign J.T. Real Muto from the Phillies' standpoint. Like, I wonder what kind of contract could even make sense for them, given the, uh, you know, the financial losses they're dealing with and how hard they say they've been hit.
1: Yeah, I I don't know um, where this thing is going to go. Obviously, there is a feeling of pessimism. um, And, you know, rightfully so. Uh, Ownership's on record. Talking about their losses and how what they spend next year is going to be uh, determined by their revenues and whether people are going to be in the seats next year. We're not sure what's going to happen next year. Um, we know Realmudo set a very high price. Um, but, you know, though there is pessimism, you know, I, I don't think you can say there's 0% chance he comes back. I just think you need to let the market unfold. We know. Um, Real Mudo has aspirations of a, a humongous deal. If that doesn't pan out in this market, does he become more of a realistic fit right back in a place he liked, Philadelphia? We'll see. I just think every team that's interested in J- JT Real Mudo is going to let that market develop as they are with um, Trevor Bauer, as they are with George Springer, the other kind of cream of the crop free reagents. Uh, I just think those are going to take a long time to pan out as, as teams um, – try to figure out where their budgets are going, where their revenues are going, what they have to spend and what these guys actually, what their market is, what their value is, what offers they actually have. So I think it's going to take some time. Mets are obviously the X factor because their owner didn't lose money last year. He just bought in uh, last month. So uh, it's, it's it's going to take some time. And though there is pessimism, I haven't reached the point where I say there's zero chance that JT Romulo is, is back here. You just got to, You got to see how this thing shakes out. I've covered a lot of free agent markets. There's been a lot of surprises. Uh, I agree with you. It doesn't feel like the Phillies are going to spend a ton of money this winter. It doesn't feel like they're going to spend a lot of money. Uh, That said, if JT is out there after the holidays and um, still lingering and, and they have a conversation, you never know what can happen. And I view JT in terms of the Phillies 2021 payroll and beyond as sort of a separate opportunity, like almost like you have one payroll for 2021 and you have this other payroll if you can re-sign JT. Um, and that payroll and that decision to me is made way above baseball operations and that goes right to the ownership level. So um, that's kind of the way I see this whole Real Mudo thing on the 1st of December. I think there are many, many miles to go.
0: Well, there were many, many miles to the Bryce Harper saga. So, you know, we're battle-tested in terms of waiting out in off season to see <laughs> what, kind of, what kind of movement goes down. That's oh, going to do it for – Am I up? hearing
1: a, a signing Rayo Mudo documentary?
0: <laughs> oh, man. Will it come to that? That's the big question. He's rain Jim.
1: Delay.
0: <laughs> he's Jim. I'm Corey. That might be some rain delay theater in 2021. Who knows? Uh, we'll catch you later this week on the Philly's Talk 5
1: Happy December 6th, though.